Chapter 12, Cortesh. The land of Kelsic has a peaceful atmosphere. Its beautiful scenery almost compares to the natural environment of Garvin. Stone-crafted cottages and buildings are commonplace, each colored by the elven vine coral that spreads up their walls. The lengthy mission to Cortesh sees the six companions grow closer as friends. Even Tatiana manages to soften her dealings with Reuben. Than proves himself to be well-meaning despite his somewhat perverse nature at times, injuring himself in the process, while Fadar and Jantis still remain eager to get to the library in Cortesh so that they can return home without any more incidents. And Reuben remains an enigma to both Fadar and Than, the only two of the group to know him to be more than a simple human. After 1,100 miles, 37 days of uneventful traveling, the group finally arrives in Cortesh. The trip from Bursch to Cortesh rounded up to be 58 days of traveling, two months. But it is all worth it when they are greeted by the Queen and King of Kelsic, their daughter and her suitor, and a great many number of elven guards and knights of the land. This is the first time I've ever seen a gnome or a human or a dwarf with facial hair, Artemis whispers over to Sane, who pulls on the uncomfortable ruffles of his shirt, a shirt he is being forced to wear for the occasion. We were beginning to worry. We expected it to take half the time. Then again, there isn't a direct and easy path here, is there? A lovely voice commands from the stairway. I am afraid not, Fadar answers, shaking his head as he turns to greet their host. I am sorry for the crowd of people, but you see, we don't often have human or gnome visitors, Calcia Orlean, the queen of the land of Kelsic states. Things must be tense with Eastern Burst's strictly human policy, he concludes. Indeed, the queen replies in short. You must be Fadar, wisest of all the gnomes. Your reputation precedes you. And you, my queen, even at the age of 280, you still look as beautiful as when you began your rule a hundred years ago, Fadar compliments her as Beth and Tatiana stand in awe of the queen's flawless skin, surprised she could be anywhere past her late twenties. This is my daughter Artemis, the queen introduces her as Artemis takes a slight bow to the guests. She's even taller than you, Beth points out to Reuben, who at five feet ten is the tallest of their group. Yep, even elven women are tall. Or maybe you're just short, he whispers back to her, to which she sticks her tongue out at him. It's a pleasure to meet you all, Artemis explains, eyeing Reuben. Reuben looks at her and then at the young elf next to her, presumably her suitor. Sane just shrugs, noting to the fact that Artemis may be interested in him. And this is my daughter's suitor, Sane, the queen continues. Sane nods, keeping a straight back, setting him apart from the others as one with military training. Only Reuben, Than, and Fadar notice the distinction. And lastly, my husband, Ciro Similis, the queen finishes. The tall elf bows his long gray hair, falling to the side of his dark purple cloak, with black sleeves and a silver chain holding the collar in place. Taking his leave, twenty or so knights accompany him as he marches away. <clears throat> if you and your companions would be so inclined, you are welcome to stay in the palace as our honored guests. It would be our privilege, Fadar exclaims in return. As the large group of elven knights and guards lead them forward, Artemis keeps glancing back at Reuben. Sane ignores her, as he always does, but Beth grows more frustrated with every look the two of them exchange. The elven guards surrounding them make it so none can see much outside the group of tall knights marching on either side of them. 
As the only member of royalty unprotected by guards and knights, the king leads them through the busy streets and toward the palace gates. Upon arrival at the palace, all of their possessions are taken up to their respective rooms on the third floor. While the queen's staff unpacks their belongings, Fadar and Jantis go straight into the throne room to discuss the matters pertaining to the library, the attacks, and the possibility of an alliance with both of the Kingdom of Bursh and the Forest of Garvin. Artemis, on the other hand, grows more curious of their new guests and decides to invite them and Sane to the study on the first floor. Artemis sits behind the large desk stationed in the corner farthest from the door, nearest the window facing east. Sane sits next to the desk on her left. The other four sit encircling the desk, with Tatiana closest to her near the right, but still facing the desk, then Beth, Reuben, and Than. Thank you for coming, Artemis begins as if holding an important meeting of nobles. Are we under scrutiny for something? Than asks, mocking her formalities. If so, I want everyone to know it was Reuben's idea, and I have no idea where the body is, he adds defensively. Artemis stares at him worriedly as Reuben and Sane shake their heads in disappointment at Than's attempt to be humorous. What? he asks, smiling at himself. So why are we here? Reuben asks. I want to know more about our guests, she answers. What would you care to know? Tatiana asks sweetly. I think it'd be logical to start with our names, Artemis clears her throat. I am Artemis Orlean, first princess and future queen of the land of Kelsic. A few moments pass before Artemis kicks Sane to go next. My name is Sane Farce. I was a member of the Royal Guard before this one got me fired, he explains bitterly. I didn't get you fired. I had you relieved of your job so you could live here. Besides, now you're in charge of my protection, 24-7, she adds optimistically. I failed to see the upside, Sane adds. Anyways, what's your name? Thanatos Resurik, your highness. Call me Than. A dwarf with an elvish name? Interesting, Artemis notes, looking at Reuben. Reuben, he answers. No last name, Artemis asks, leaning on the desk, staring dreamily at him. No, Reuben adds hesitantly. Artemis catches herself, staring and moves on to Beth, who is clenching her jaw in irritation. And you, my dear. Beth relaxes for a moment. Elizabeth and Dace, but my friends call me Beth. Tatiana Marie Dace. Sisters, how sweet, Artemis notices. So Reuben... She begins. Are you a soldier of Bursh? Yes. Have you seen any battles? Artemis asks. Than and I served at the Wall of Arkans up until its fall. I didn't know that, Beth realizes, looking up at Reuben sadly. I heard the wall literally crumbled, leaving the whole area defenseless against the goblin hordes. It was said only a handful survived, Sane chirps in, realizing the importance of their survival. Unfortunately, we were the only two survivors, Reuben explains. How did you survive? Artemis asks as the whole group focuses on Reuben and Than. Than looks at the ground, unwilling to make eye contact. We ran like cowards, he states shamefully. No, Reuben looks at Than. We somehow survived until we were the only two remaining. We weren't able to do much, but it's because we ran that either country has a fighting chance. We should have died there with honor, Than shouts, standing up out of his chair. Than, everyone died before us. Everyone, he stresses. 
What could two men do against five hundred? We could have killed a few dozen more. And then the council would just now be sending men to seek out the Wall of Arkans, leaving the country with no idea who or what has been doing all of this. Reuben stops, looking down at his friend. Placing a hand on his shoulder, he continues softly, Than, we ran to give Bersh and Garvin a fighting chance. Our deaths would have been meaningless. No bodies were left. They had to scour through the documentation of active soldiers just to find out who died there. It wasn't a battle, Than. It was a massacre. The only reason the elders know who is behind this is because we were lucky enough to survive and tell them. Sane looks at both of them. An elvish knight would never have fled from a battle. He would have stayed his ground and fought courageously for his country. Until the very end. Beth and Tatiana stand up, reaching for the weapons they left in their rooms. They have been nothing but courageous the entire way here, Beth yells at him. Artemis looks at Sane, who stands up towering over the two small girls. We elves have a saying. It takes more courage to fight the war than the battle. Both girls look at him, anger rising high. That means they're more courageous for fighting the continuing war than just one battle, Sane explains himself. Reuben and Than look toward the ground. Than stands up. I don't feel courageous. But here you are, Sane points out. If it had been elven knights out there, we'd just be learning about it now, a month and a half later. But because it was two courageous and smart men of Bursh, we may yet stand against the growing threat. We? Artemis asks. Sane looks at her. Open your eyes, princess. Your mother has traveled to almost every country in Azurus. Yet she welcomes these men personally? The land of Kelsic has been attacked on several occasions now, and she's looking to form new allies. How could goblins make it this far out? Artemis asks. Not goblins. Merfolk, Than points out. The kingdom of Bursh lost all of its coastal cities the same day Arkans fell. The merfolk struck a crippling blow to our food sources by doing so. Do you really rely on fish as a major source of food? Artemis asks. Not to mention the three towns nearest the Wall of Arkans were heavily relied upon for their agriculture, Reuben explains further. Is that why they aren't attacking the Kingdom of Bursh anymore? Beth asks. Yes, but Bursh isn't in any trouble of food shortage. We have Garvin to thank for that. Which is why the goblins are focusing on the forest of Garvin more now, Tatiana now realizes. Fortunately, the gnomes and fawns who live there are able to keep them at bay, Beth points out. I'm afraid that won't last forever, though. The goblins are pushing forward on Garvin. We wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. And with Bursh rebuilding its defenses, there aren't any soldiers free to help Garvin, Reuben adds. They're keeping us busy at all fronts, Than points out. The question is, if they aren't gaining a foothold, what's their plan? Sane asks. Goblins aren't smart enough to have a plan, Than emphasizes. Normally, they wouldn't align themselves with merfolk either, though. So someone else has to be behind all this, Reuben points out. Who could that be? The humans of Eastern Bursh? Artemis asks. They do hate almost every other country, Tatiana considers. So is that why you're here? To get aid from Kelsic? Artemis asks. Sort of. I don't think any of us except Fadar knows all the details. So we're here to seek an alliance with you as well as utilize your library so we can formulate a plan to stop the invading forces, Reuben explains. 
We listened to the whole meeting, he adds with a smile. Not fair, we only snuck in halfway, Tatiana replies, becoming depressed over the realization. As the discussion continues changing from personal topics to cultural differences and everything in between, a number of hours pass as the six young men and women of Azurus continue talking with their host. As the group begins to leave the study, Artemis stops Reuben and Sane from leaving. May I ask the two of you something? She asks as the entire group stops and looks at her. In private, she commands. The door shuts behind them and Than and Beth whirl around, pressing their ears against the wall. They try to eavesdrop but can't hear a thing through the thick oak. The three remained in the room for an eternity before Sane opens the door, revealing the two snoops standing in the doorway. Beth watches as Reuben gets up to leave the room. He bends over and kisses Artemis's hand and heads toward his two friends. Sane looks over at Artemis, shaking his head, and leaves without a word. Reuben joins the waiting Beth and Than. As the three round the corner, he notices the whole thing has both of them deeply agitated. Than shows his jealousy. Jealousy of the attention Reuben was receiving from Artemis, while Beth is jealous of the attention she thinks Artemis is getting from Reuben. What was that about? Than finally asks as Beth stares at him wide-eyed. Nothing I have any control over, he states simply. Well, what is it? Beth pushes. It doesn't matter. But... She begins again. No, not this time. We have more important things to worry about, Reuben explains. The three saunter down the hallway, making their way past the kitchen and into the main lobby of the palace. Inside, Tatiana, Fadar, and Jantis are talking about the meeting with the queen. Eagerly, she awaits to go to the library, but until approval by the royal family, no one is allowed in. Fadar and Jantis appear tired, as if their endeavors haven't paid off. It looks like we have another meeting tomorrow with the queen and her court, Jantis tells the three latecomers. So we just wait until everything is in place? Than asks impatiently. Looks like it. The meetings are mostly political, so you'll be bored no matter what you do, Jantis points out. It's just like Birch all over again, Than relates depressingly. We'll find something to do, Than, Reuben responds optimistically. Actually, we were asked not to leave the palace without supervision, Chantis explains, so until further notice, we are not to leave the palace walls. Everyone looks over at Fadar, who hasn't said a word. Sorry, but he speaks true, Fadar admits. I seem to be absent-minded with everything going on. I should rest. Tatiana and Beth pick up their small friends, putting them on their shoulders, and hike up the elven stairs. Than and Reuben are left alone at the bottom of the stairwell. Not wanting to go upstairs at first, the two young men eventually follow. As everyone settles down for the night, only Jantis and Fadar understand clearly what lies ahead of the group. That evening, both girls relish themselves by taking a bath, a luxury they haven't been able to delight in since their stay at the inn nearly a month ago. Elven silk nightgowns are found strewn about their two beds, furthering their merriment with the situation. Lately, they've been sleeping in their garvin armor, something they had to do because of Than and Reuben. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Azurus, Dragonborn, written by Corey E. Slane. If you like this content, consider buying a physical copy on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can become a supporter. Support the podcast with a small monthly donation to sustain future episodes. 
Thanks again for listening, and tune in next time for more chapters of The Legend of Azarus, Dragonborn.